This is the Horse Radio Network. Hi, I'm Jennifer Wood. And I'm Jennifer Connor from Equestrian Business Women. And you are listening to Equestrian B2B, the podcast that brings together industry leaders, entrepreneurs, and equestrians for conversations about how they build and sustain a successful business. On today's show, we will talk to two women who will help us learn more about preparing, applying, and securing small business loans, as well as how best to manage business finances once you have the money. Julie Garella, a Wall Street veteran of over 30 years and a lifelong horsewoman, purchased Ice Horse and created McKinnon Products LLC in 2012. Seeing an opportunity to combine her M&A experience with her knowledge of the horse industry, Julie developed a strategy to acquire companies or licensed products in the equine health sector and has since added Hoofwraps brand, Steryhoof, and Tackwrap brands to the McKinnon platform. Prior to acquiring IceHorse, Julie was the Director of Business Development for City Capital Strategies, a division of Citigroup Global Markets. During her tenure at City, Julie led her team to number one in the league tables for deals under $100 million. Before joining City, Julie partnered with Hugh McCall, former chairman of Bank of America, to form McCall Gorella, an M&A advisory firm focused exclusively on women-owned and managed companies. A frequent author and speaker, Julie has appeared on the cover of Fortune Small Business, guest lectured for Babson College, Wake Forest University, University of North Carolina, and YPO. Her articles have appeared in various industry and trade publications, and she is the author of Capitalize on Your Success, the ultimate guide to getting the money, growing the business, and doing the deal. Nicole Scribner is VP of Business Development for Pursuit Community Finance. She has spent more than 25 years in various roles in retail banking and made the transition to small business lending in 2019. She works out of the Albany Office for Pursuit, covering the North Country, Central New York, Hudson Valley, and Capital Regions of New York. Nicole has owned horses for most of her life, taking an almost 20-year hiatus from 1995 to 2015 to raise two sons. Once the youngest went to college, she got back into it and has three-quarter horses, Two are pasture ornaments due to injuries, and the third is an all-around horse named Oliver. Nicole shows open shows and smaller quarter horse breed shows. She has two adult sons that are on their own, and she lives in Granville, New York. We're really excited to have Julie and Nicole here with us today to talk about the topic of uh, loans and financing and raising capital. It's obviously a huge topic. And, you know, Julie and I have spoken before about it, and she gave me her book to read. And it's been really helpful for me to learn more about it. And I think today's talk will hopefully give people some reassurance and some ideas about financing and getting loans and getting capital for their business. And just wanted to start with Nicole. I know that your business helps with small business loans, and we wanted to kind of get an idea for what the difference is between SBA loans and non-SBA or traditional loans and what they can be used for. Sure. So I work for Pursuit and we are an SBA lender. So we work with the Small Business Administration to provide funding to businesses. So the SBA doesn't give loans directly to businesses outside of the disaster programs that are happening right now. They fund our CDC and then we turn around and fund the borrowers from there. 
So what's different from SBA loan to a traditional bank loan? Your traditional bank loan is when you walk into XYZ National Bank and you say, I want a bank loan, they give you an application and they actually underwrite and approve the loan themselves. Nothing ever leaves house. It stays right there. They fund your loan and everybody's happy. With the SBA, that lender could come to us and say, we don't really love this deal. There's a piece of it that that we're not comfortable with. Could you work with us to do this? So some loans we fund fully, some loans we partner with the bank on. So it just depends on the project, really. Mm-hmm. And when you give those loans, can they be used for anything that the business wants to use it for? Or is it... Typically, working capital, purchase equipment, inventory, any legal venture with the business, we can probably do a loan for. The SBA's standard operating procedure manual is no joke, 850 pages. We joke about just hitting each other over the head with it when we can't figure something out. (laughs) And I've actually had to go to this document and you just search in it and you can find what you're looking for. It's actually not a difficult document to work with. It's just huge. So every deal is different. Every situation is different. So it's really hard to say yes or no, whether or not we would do it. I'm a very new lender in the company. We've got lenders. I I think about my, I work in Albany and where the offices for the SBA lenders are, there's 150 years of experience down that hallway. So if I encounter a situation, there's probably somebody who's dealt with something exactly like that in the past. Yeah. Do you... What kind of circumstances do you think people or people getting loans? Growth. They want to start a business. They need a startup loan. They want to grow. They're acquiring a business. They want to sell out to a family member. So there's a lot of different situations. Maybe a business owner has cash and they could buy a piece of equipment with the cash that they have, but then they wouldn't have any cash left. So I, I'm a fan of lending, not just because I'm a lender, but I think that People should save their money just in case and do a loan just because you never know what's going to happen. And if you take that wad of cash and you purchase what you wanted to, and then you have a situation where you need cash, it's harder to back into that refinance of that piece of equipment or whatever it is you bought. I think you're better off from the start doing the loan and, and leaving your cash intact. Julie, do you feel that's a solid or do you agree with that in, in terms of keeping cash around for businesses? Yeah, I, in general, businesses need to get their arms around what their cash flow needs are. It never hurts to have a working capital line of credit beyond the SBA. There's lots of ways that you can put credit to work for your business. And so I think looking at each of those and evaluating what the right is for your business is the way to go. And it's a constant evaluation. This isn't something that you do one time and that's it. This is something that you should be looking at year in and year out, particularly if your business is growing. Right. Now, are there other ways that you would recommend people can raise capital? Again, it depends on your business. So there's something in the banking world called the capital stack. So depending on what kind of capital you want, there's a cost for it. So if you take out a loan, whether it's a bank loan or you go through the SBA or another avenue for that type of capital, you still own 100% of your business and you have to pay your principal and interest. There's 
mezzanine capital, which is a combination of a bank type of a loan along with an equity portion. And then there's straight up equity where you're giving your business to an investor. They all have their place. They all have their uses. There's many other little nuances and different structures in between just going to the bank and taking on equity capital as well. And again, depends on what your appetite is for partners, what the general picture of business looks like, what the opportunity is for an investor, what your ability is to service that debt you take on. So again, really understanding what the financial operations of your business are, that, that's the key. And Nicole, are there different programs that you offer for different business types, like specifically agriculture and equine? The SBA does the USD, the government portion USDA loans, which tend to go for ag. In our world, we will do agricultural loans under the SBA program. Again, it depends on what they're looking for, where the health of the business is. So I don't have anything specific to ag. We can fit it into everything. Now, I work on the community finance side of the house. So my entity is actually a nonprofit. So we provide loans to businesses that can't get conventional bank financing. And we've been working a few programs. New York Forward program is a COVID recovery program. And we've done pretty much any type of business that you can think of under this umbrella. I actually had a, a string of horse businesses that every time I bring one in, my underwriter laughs at me and he said, what are you doing to me? So, but it's been a really great experience because I, as a horse person, learning the different types of businesses that are out there in relation to horses. So we can fit that ag business into almost any category that we do. I, I had a call yesterday for a loan for an egg farmer in Northern New York. He does egg production and then he has some meat birds. And it's just so interesting how it all just kind of rolls in. It's cool. So it doesn't really matter what people are using the money for then in their loans and, and in their businesses. There's got to be a specific purpose. When you come to us with a request, we need a specific purpose for that request, whether it's equipment financing, whether it's working capital, startup money. When you do your startup, you need to have a very clear plan of what pretty much every dollar is going to be used for. So in every situation is different. Right now, there's if you come to us with a deal that has a construction piece, right now with the way construction costs are, a lot of these deals have suddenly stopped and been restructured because of the expensive construction right now. What cost $10,000 a year ago is now $25,000 to do this. So there has to be a specific reason with a specific plan laid out. You can't come to me and say, I want between $100,000 and $200,000. You have to know exactly how much you want and what it's going to be used for. And Julie, do you have any experience in how you would um, allocate different funds within a business for growth, for doing different things within your business? Every business is different, right? It's like a footprint. So it really depends on what your business plan is. Every business should have a plan. And if you have a written plan, it's going to be a lot easier when you go to somebody like Nicole or to your bank to be able to talk about getting that kind of debt financing. The, the key is you have to be able to service the debt. So either the business is going to be able to cover the interest and principal payment and the repayment 
uh, at the end of the day, or the lender is going to require that you put a personal guarantee on that. You have to be able to show that you have the wherewithal to do that. So once again, it's where's your business at? What does its cash flow look like? What is your appetite for taking on that debt? And what is your ability to service that debt? And you've got to be able to convince some business case to your lend. Banks are not venture capitalists, okay? They're, they're not in the risk business. So you can't go to a bank with a startup idea or to the SBA with a startup idea that's just an idea. That's not what they do. And Nicole touched on something else that I, I think is worth mentioning. She talked about being in New York and that there are some specific programs for where she is. Around the country, there are different programs for different areas, programs that have mandates to lend or invest capital in rural areas. For example, there's funds, women minority funds available. You really need to put your detective hat on and dig in and see where those sources of capital are. And they are going to vary by geography. Where do people look for those kind of opportunities? I would say Start with Google. Google it. Look for lending programs by state and then drill down from there. Call your banker. Call your economic development organization in your area. Every county, in at least in New York, every county has an economic development group. They might have a loan fund of their own. USDA is a great place to go. So I would say start with the Google. Really mm-hmm. into it. Yeah, I think so many people just have no idea about the opportunities that are out there for small businesses and women-owned businesses. Maybe my only bet is to go to my bank and ask for money, but there seems to be, especially recently, so many more opportunities out there. And like you said, it just takes a little work to find them and to reach out to them. I would think most of those are going to, same thing, require that you have a business plan that you can show how you'll use the money and how you'll pay back the loan, right? And with your business plan, this is where I love entrepreneurs because that spirit that an entrepreneur has, the belief in themselves is so strong. And when you write your plan, you know what you want to do. It's your vision, but you've got to have somebody else look at it before you submit it to a bank or to a lender. In New York State and actually all the states, the small business development um, centers across, they're usually on state campuses in New York State. They're partnering with SUNY campuses. Reach out to the SBDC. There's a free service. They'll review your plan for you. Your CPA is a great person to do that plan because you need projections. This is what we're going to do. This is how much money we're going to make. And it has to be clear. It can't be a dream. It's got to be concise. We will produce X number of widgets to get to this for our revenue and work with a professional to help you do that. That's where a lot of folks get hung up. I wrote my plan. My plan is perfect. And it it could be, (laughs) but have somebody review that with you. Have someone go over it because when you submit it to your lender, they're really using that. That's going to be your personal credit and that plan are going to be what the deciding factors are on that loan decision. Right. So Julie, is there a certain formula 
used to like when you're looking to grow a business and you're at that step where you need the capital to grow? How do you look at it's the right time to do this? It's the right time to ask for money. Every business is different, but is there a point that people get to where they need to get that money to grow or how should they be looking at it? It depends on business. Just want to take a moment and just echo what Nicole said about bringing in a professional or an advisor to help you with that financial piece. I can't emphasize enough how often that is the missing link and it's whether you're going for debt or equity funding, not having that financial picture fleshed out properly, that's going to be the make or break. And so if you're going to spend your time and invest in any one thing, have it be on getting your numbers together and really understand where. In terms of taking on different types of capital, the reality is there's different kinds of businesses. And so I used to always divide them into the lifestyle maker and the empire builder. One isn't better than the other and there's not a right or a wrong. What you have to keep in mind is the person that is putting the money business, be it debt or equity, the bank is looking for the return of their principal and then a little bit of interest on that. And your equity investor is looking for, yes, they want their money back, but they also want a big piece of the up of the increase in the value of your business. And so yeah. it's going to guide you on what kind of capital you can bring into the business are things like how big is that addressable market, right? If it's a rare niche little business, it's probably not that investable, right? If it's something that is going to apply to a very large swath of the population, to a global population, et cetera, then that becomes much more interesting for people that may want to invest equity. And again, I think really understanding that, and that goes down to understanding your own finances and what's the art of the possible. I used to run a division and we'd have these great analysts. They'd all come and they were all great. Lots of them had FDAs. They do these financial projections and they would just go straight up in the air. And it, mathematically they worked, but in reality, there was no basis in reality into things like supply chains or lead times or new product development or the time that it takes. You're going to add five employees here. You've got to train those employees and bring them up to speed. People don't start this at maximum capacity. And so when if you're an experienced lender, look at somebody's financial projections and those pieces aren't thought through. That's what makes a lender queasy about wanting to underwrite a loan. So just having somebody that you've talked through that with. One place that I think is also really underutilized, there's a, a not-for-profit called SCORE. SCORE is an association of retired executives that dedicate their most precious resource, their time, to business owners to help them with these operational questions, issues thinking through. So that's another great resource. On the women's business side, there are lots of things that have perked through the years that are just doing amazing things in funding 
larger growth company. So there's a group called Springboard. And when Springboard started, they were nothing. They funded $3 billion in women-owned businesses. Company like Zipcar in the 90s got their start. These are for serious venture-backed people that want to go that route. But they do a whole boot camp. And if you can make it through their boot camp, you can present to a VC and you're going to get funded. So in between SPORE and a Springboard, there's a lot. Like Nicole says, use your Googler. Raising capital, even just going to the bank and signing on the personal side, it takes work. This is not a credit card that comes in the mail. If you want your 25% credit card that's going to come in the mail, that's one thing, right? If you want to be serious about financing your business, analyzing your business, and become not a product, but a company, that's who rolling up your sleeves first. And you need professionals to advise you. And I think it also takes some honesty with yourself on either what your product or service is, what your company can really handle and what your market is. Like you said before, it's if you're a niche business, like someone's not going to come give you millions of dollars for it. Most likely your market is finite. So I think that really being honest with yourself and then looking for the best ways to get money for the type of business you have is important. Most people think I'm going to have this business and I'm going to be successful and I'm going to make millions of dollars. But the vast majority of businesses don't do that. And success is, I think, on a big scale for people. (laughs) It's success for someone is right here and for someone else, it's much higher. So yeah, it's interesting to get that feedback. And I love the the titles that you give them, Julie, with the lifestyle maker or the empire. No, wait, did I mess it up? Yeah, lifestyle maker, empire builder. Empire builder, yeah. I wrote that. They're so, yeah, I love those terms. They're so different. And you really have to say which business, honestly, you're, you fit into. And, and they're both okay. They're both okay. You just need to understand. You can have a whole podcast on understanding business valuation. Because just because somebody says they can do a valuation doesn't really mean they understand how to do an operational business valuation, right? So businesses are valued. You can value a business for state planning purposes. You can value a business to bring on equity capital. You can value a business in a way because you want to do a partnership with somebody and you need to do a buy-sell agreement. That's seriously its own separate its own separate topic. But I think if you can, if you're in a startup stage or an early stage of your business, understanding what's going to drive value is going to be really helpful to you. If you want to be the next Tim Cook and running an Apple, then you better have a business that has an addressable market the size of Apple. You could also be really happy making a really nice product for a horse or doing really nice handbags, right? And that can grow over time into a very nice business. There's just no overnight sensation. It just doesn't exist. (laughs) And I think to your point of being honest with yourself about what you can do and how what you're looking for, that's critical. You've got to know what you're doing and be able to be humble enough to look at what you're doing and say, what if this fails? What am I going to do? Uh, what's my plan B? 
because you're when you're talking about somebody's dream, it's very delicate. It's very sensitive. And as the business owner, you need to be able to take that feedback and be able to do something different with it. Tweak it, change it. Maybe the bank said no, but then you're going to go to that venture capitalist because you've changed something. I've worked with a, a local business that she started the business. It wasn't making money yet. She came to us to do a second business, but the first business wasn't making money. I believed in her. I knew she was going to make it work. Come hell or high water, she was going to make it work. And we said no. The bank said no. She found an investor and the, the thing took off. So she believed in herself, but she was also honest with herself and was, was willing to to move and change and, and turn corners that she needed to. Yeah. I think that type of evolution and learning is critical in any business. I don't think any business stays the same over a period of time, especially now with things changing in the world so quickly. So yeah. you have to be able to pivot. <laughs> <laughs> We've been using that a lot. Yes. Yeah. Nicole, when you when there are people who are looking to possibly get a loan, are there things that they can do to prepare themselves? Yes. Personal credit is critical. If you want us to invest in your dream, your own house has got to be in order. So pay your tax and make sure that everything is up to date. If you've got balances and car loans, make sure it's all paid. That is the number one piece that if somebody comes to us with a fabulous plan and they know what they want to do, but their personal credit stinks, it, it's going to be really difficult. Work on that business plan. Have a, a CPA that is in your corner that you trust that does a good job with your taxes and is willing to work with you. But I would say that personal credit is critical. And then what are some steps that people can take like? six, 12 months. I know people don't always know that they're going to need money, right? It's usually like all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I need to come out and I need to find some money. But is there are there things that like even if they aren't sure that they're going to need it, that they should be doing anyway so in case they need to come in? Making sure that, again, that personal credit is up to date that they have that foundation underneath them so that it's easy if we want to invest in their business. And I think, Nicole, you kind of spoke to this a little bit already, but is it easier to get loans for a new business or an existing business, do you think? <sighs> That's a great question. For an existing business, you've got a track record, right? You've shown what you've done, whether it's good or bad, you've got a track record. So it's going to go back to that personal credit and cash flow. That's a piece with your business plan when you need to know what your cash flow needs are going to be, how much income are you going to need to make to pay those bills. So again, back, I keep coming back to that plan. But if your plan is good and you've got your projections correct, it could be easy to do that startup. So it, it depends. Yeah. It's, it's really hard to say. We've had startups that have been just like perfect from start to finish. We get existing businesses in that are just a mess that we really have to clean up and work with. So every situation is different. Is there anything specific in the equine industry that people find problematic in trying to get loans? Horses are very expensive. <laughs> Everything around horses is expensive. <laughs> right. I tell people who don't have horses, if you want to know what it's like, just set a pile of cash on fire in your driveway. 
the cost of owning horses, that cash flow piece, you need to have an accountant that understands agriculture, understands the equine industry. Because if you're going to claim your horses as a a write-off or a deduction, or you're going to take depreciation on them, you need to know how to do that properly. So it's really, it's complicated to do that. If your personal life, your personal credit piece is intact and in good shape, you've got a much better chance of being able to step into something, even at just a regular conforming bank loan, a term loan that has a start and a finish or a line of credit that's going to help you get there. Have you ever been able to not help somebody? And so you've sent them kind of back and said, you need to reorganize it. And what have you told them in doing that? Yes, I actually have a a client that I'm working with now that I've been working with for about four months. It's a boarding training facility and went from doing a Schedule C, so very small entity Schedule C using their social security number, my name doing business as my horse business, and she switched into an S-Corp. And when she did that, her tax preparer was not good and ended up just, it was a mess. So we actually had to pull back her tax return. We sent her to a new CPA that got her in order. So she went from looking like she made X amount of dollars to significantly less because of the changes that needed to be made. So we've got her on a path. She can't get the money she wants today, but we've got her on a path that maybe six months from now it will work. Once she gets her 2021s done, the year was really good for her. COVID recovery went well. She gets a final year on the 2021. We'll look at it again and could potentially be able to do the project. So not all hope is lost. You can kind of work through it. There's never a no. It should be a not right now. It is our responsibility to an applicant to help them get to the yes eventually. It could take a year. It could take two years, but it's our responsibility to put them on a plan. Here's what you brought to us. Here's why it won't work. This is what you need to do to get in order. The SBA has a very small loan program. It's called the micro loan. It's only up to $50,000. And a lot of times the borrowers that I work with, that the small scale mom and pop, two or three employees, $50,000 boost of capital is a, a really big help for them. And with that, with the micro loan program, the SBA gives us money to support these businesses with business advisory services. So this particular business owner, we were able to do a small microloan for her that gave her access to technical support so that when we sent her to that CPA, we paid for it through this microloan grant that we get. So that's one of those programs that's out there for business owners that they don't know about unless they hit the Google at three in the morning and learn about it. So our goal for her is to grow her business. Right now, she's not in a state where she can do it, but a year from now, she will be. And then she's going to get into that larger piece of financing that's going to get her in the facility that she wants moving in the direction she wants to go. So it wasn't right now, but it, it wasn't a no either. Julie, do you see specific challenges for businesses in the equine industry or is it a business as a business? It's a little bit of both. I mean, First, just going back to what can you do to prepare. I don't think it can be stressed enough that to have your books in order, to work with a competent CPA that understands operating businesses in your type. If you're in a service business, work with a CPA that understands service businesses. If you are in manufacturing, work with a CPA that understands manufacturing. 
have all those I's dotted, those T's crossed. With regard to the equine industry, the biggest challenge in the equine industry for goods and services, we'll say, or is the size of the addressable market. So you've got 7 million horses in the U.S. What are the money-making businesses? Feed and supplements are always nice because that's a, you get the horse hooked on the food and the, or the supplement and they continue to buy it. But that's a, a crowded space and that's a very expensive space to, to market to. Lots of horse people love the clothing space and that's a nice space because horse equestrian attire crosses over to people that aren't even equine space but the fashion industry has its own challenges so again there's some things that that nicole and i are talking about here which is to really understand what your business plan is what your business model is how is it going to work and to be realistic about it the equine space is challenging for a lot of reasons it's also a very fragmented space because we have two styles of riding and dust disciplines and those are further fractured by breeds. Everybody has their own where one thing to go in Western and one other thing to go in jumpers and another thing to go in dressage. And that makes it complex. Right. And I know probably there's a, a lot of people in the equine industry who are a little scared to to come out and show their finances or ask for money because they live sometimes paycheck paycheck to paycheck. And so are, is there any kind of advice that you can give to people who are looking to come in and talk about their finances to kind of ease the worry that they might have? That is such a great point. And it, the equine world, any business owner, they don't know what they don't know. So they shouldn't feel bad about that. They should look to somebody who does know and just lay it all out. Here's what I have. I help me. I don't know. I don't know what's what. And then maybe get a second opinion from there. I've been a banker for almost 30 years and this is what I do. I can, I love when people say, I have a question for you because I, you just dive in and, and like, this is so complicated and there's so many different moving parts to it. You just got to lay it out and, and be honest. Here's what I have. Here's what I want to do. How am I going to get there? Yeah. You have a good point that people just don't understand the programs that are out there for them. They're still, through this COVID situation, there's still so many business owners that don't know about the EIDL program. They didn't even know about PPP. And I want to say, where have you been? Do you not turn on the news? But they don't. So I can't hold that against them. Mm -hmm. Knowledge is power, right? So, So this is a matter of getting comfortable with the vocabulary feeling comfortable about the numbers, your numbers, which you should be extraordinarily comfortable with your numbers. And you should sit with your numbers and your books until you are really comfortable and you're really comfortable explaining them and you look inside and out. And there isn't any financially going on in your business that you don't know intimately. I'm a huge fan of peer mentoring groups. So depending on the size of your business, there's everything from women business owners to the women president's organization. There's all kinds of places that you can go to to get comfortable with all of this and do this before you have to go lay it out in front of somebody that's going to make a decision for you. 
It's like when you have to give a presentation, you stand in front of the mirror and you practice your presentation. Well, go through your numbers. And if you're running down your P&L or your balance sheet and you get to a line and you don't know what that's talking about, then you have some work to do, right? And then when you can just do that, basically with your eyes closed, you're ready to talk to an outsider about your books. That's great advice. Analogy of practicing a speech before you give it live and being able to go to a group and say, how did you do this? Or how did you handle it? Or what does this mean? I think is such a huge help because I think people always feel like they're on an island and by themselves and so wrapped up in their own business, they don't think to reach out and see how other people can help them. It's very empowering for business owners to really understand their finances. That, that's the difference between somebody really being successful and somebody just being a business owner or an entrepreneur. You can have all the entrepreneurial spirit in the world, but if you can't manage that piece of your business and don't understand it, you won't be successful. It's just, if there's just one factor, but that's really it. And so there are the resources to, to take charge and to empower yourself. And I think so many times in the equine industry, we're, we're kind of isolated. And I think that it would be great to go to a group and be able to discuss your books and your finances with people who might not be in the industry. Because I know everybody's a little secretive. You don't want to lose clients and you don't want other people to really know how you aren't doing. But if you can reach out to a group that they're going to look at it without judgment and they're going to just look at it to help you. You, I think that's a really great place for people to go. And many of the peer-to-peer adventuring groups have small, so for example, women presidents organizations. So therefore, businesses, I believe it's a million dollars or more in revenue. And they meet in small groups and they put non-conflicted parties together with a moderator and they have discussions about these businesses. It's equally as good, though, to be talking to people candidly in the industry as well, because sometimes you need that reality check of, oh, you're having that too? And that sometimes only comes with industry. It's like, it, this is not just for the equine industry. It wouldn't matter if we were talking about technology or fashion or old line manufacturing. There are elements to every type of business that are unique, again, to that specific area. But like anything, talking about it makes it better. There's so many micro-enterprise groups. So the the smaller businesses, my farrier, my chiropractor, my horse has chiropractor, I don't, but whatever. But if you can take what you do and and liken it to a different industry, there's some micro-enterprise groups out there that do training. They could, they put you on a 12 week small business course for free. And at the end of it, you have an opportunity to apply for a grant. So there's a lot of different things out there that are available and it, you just have to look for it. You just have to look for it or know who to talk to, but you can take, you can sit next to somebody that does underwater basket weaving. And as long as you both have a similar, you each have revenue, you each have expenses, it it can all, you can all learn the same things together and then just put it into your world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think a lot of equestrian based business owners 
would think to do that. I don't know. Maybe it's just my mindset, but I don't know if they think about reaching out to to those sorts of opportunities. And we had talked to someone else on a previous podcast who talked about going to your chamber of commerce and you know looking for help there and ways to reach out to the local community if your business and your market involves that. And I don't think most people take advantage of things like that. So the more we can get that out there and have people know about it, the better people will be for it. And I think you're equestrian business owner, think about the groups of people that we hang out with, right? I work in banking and a lot of my friends are bankers, but most of my friends are worse people. So these folks that are business owners only hang out with worse people. So they don't have that exposure to something like the Chamber of Commerce because it's a small business and would they benefit from a chamber membership? So that's exactly right. Your network, I'm in a bunch of networking groups, but it's not what you know, it's who. So the more people that you network with and connect with, the more options are open to you and the more open you are to learning new things. I think as a business owner, you've got to keep your mind open to that. I don't think it's a unique problem to the equestrian business. I think it's a systemic problem with business owners in general. They're all very busy, first (laughs) of all, running their business, number one. Number two, it takes an investment of your most precious resource, your time to get on Google. I just Googled small business resources and a site came up called 45 business resources every entrepreneur needs to know about. Uh, 10 great books all the way down to places to go. It's Nicole was saying community forums, but you have to take the time and you have to do that and you have to follow up and you have to follow through. And so execution, right? It's all about execution. If you're really serious about growing your business and figuring out if you can take on capital or want to take on capital or want to take go to the bank and take on SBA or a a bank loan, that you're going to have to invest that time. That's kind of the first cut. And if you do that, then you're on your way to make formed and empowered decision. Then you go to the next step. And at every turn, there's going to be a next step and there's going to be a next step. But the biggest companies in the world have all kinds of capital commitments up and down their balance sheet. Have people who all day long are just trying to figure out what the next best step is for them. If you don't start, you'll never get there. You're right. <laughs> the first step may be the the biggest one. I think that's a good place to to end the conversation and we can ask you our fun questions for each person now. And Jen, we'll start with the first one and you'll each answer. Yeah. So what is one action that women can take to make a big difference in their lives? Oh, wow. One, just one? <laughs> one action. That's a great question. I just one. Julie, do you have one? What action that women can take? I always think having the courage to take the next step. I think saying no is critical. If you were to be able to do anything, to be able to say no to something that's going to waste your time or not the bit, maybe the not the best use of your time. I think saying no is important because that's. 
to courage and saying no is really brave. Yeah. Yeah. And Julie, what is the best habit that keeps you motivated personally? My best habit? Mm-hmm. I, get up, I get up every morning and I walk three to five miles. And that's my place that I get my thoughts together. My husband tells me when I come back from that not to talk to him for at least 30 minutes because I rapid fire after that. <laughs> so that's part of my routine. And if I don't do that every morning, I feel like something's missing all day. Mm-hmm. And Nicole? That 30 minutes that I get to myself before I get home, that saves everybody's life and it keeps my sanity. My kids are grown now, but when they were little, I needed that time to adjust from work mode to mom. And now that my kids are gone, I still like that 30 minutes alone to decompress and just breathe. Okay. So what is your favorite horse movie? Black Beauty. (laughs) (laughs) And Julie? The horse in the great flannel suit. Oh, that's, that's great. <laughs> we haven't had that one yet. Yeah, we have a good movie. <laughs> awesome. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to talk to us today. And I think we gained so much out of it and so many new ideas and places to look for help and advice and opportunities. So we really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Happy to be here. I really enjoyed talking to those two ladies today because I think finance is such an important topic that anybody really needs to think about. Not just equine people, not just business people, but just everybody in general. I think a lot of people struggle with it. And I think that they had some really good advice about it. Yeah. I thought Julie would be a really great guest for this topic because... She has so much experience in that world. So there's always that fear of being denied and being told you're not good enough or you you can't have the money to do what you want to do. And to even hear some a lender say that they're open to having you come back once you have things in order or once you've done something to improve credit or improve your plan or show how you're going to pay the loan back. I think that's really encouraging. Yeah. I definitely didn't think that. Listen, I've gone for a mortgage before and you're like sweating. You're sitting there like sweating, like, oh my God, like I know I have my stuff in order, but oh my God, what if they say no? So you take it very personally. And I think that it was good to hear that you don't have to. And that also, if you go to one of these peer reviewed groups, they can help you before you have to sit there. So you practice it and Mm -hmm. you'll feel more comfortable. And I, I like that idea too, is to have a a platform to practice it in and show it all to people. And then you will feel more comfortable when you sit down with the actual decision makers. Yeah. I think one thing that this podcast and what Equestrian Businesswoman keeps showing me over and over again is that there are always people out there who will help you. And all you have to do is look for them and ask. And I've been in that situation a few times now since I started Equestrian Businesswoman. And it's been so heartening and fulfilling to know like every time I've asked for help, someone has helped me. And I really feel like that's the bigger picture of this, whether it's your finances or something else, there really are ways to get help and ways to understand more. 
for whatever aspect of your business that you need. Yeah. That's what I'm really enjoying about this as well. Is just mm-hmm. the, the people that'll come in and give great advice and help people and build our network. Mm-hmm. And do it just for the good of doing it and helping and sharing information. That's what is uh, really cool to see. And I can't wait to do more of it. I know. <laughs> Find the links to today's guest and the show notes at www.eqbusinesswomen.com. Equestrian B2B is out twice a month on the 1st and the 15th. Along with our website at eqbusinesswomen.com, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Find Equestrian B2B podcast wherever you get your podcasts and be sure to follow, subscribe, and leave a review. You can have all 20 plus shows of the Horse Radio Network with you wherever you go with their free app for iPhone and Android. Go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. Now, go organize your finances. 